three. Today's date is June 4th, 2009. I am here, your host, Vincent, along with my faithful other host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Vince. Welcome, everybody, to our World of Darkness podcast, or if you will, Wadcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Old and new. Yeah, I've been writing that one all week. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've had quite a bit of uh, feedback and downloads from our listeners, and we'd be happy to read some of those on the air in just a moment. But before we do that... Just want to say that this podcast is part of a radio network, which is up and coming. It's brand new, Wild Games Productions Radio Network. You could find more information about it by going to wildgamesproductions.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. And there's also a bunch of forums there uh, you can go to and chit-chat about this and that. Anyway, um, let's get on to the mail call part of the show. Mark, what do you have for mail today? Well, first thing we want to do is give a big shout of thanks to Ed Healy um, over at examiner.com and elsewhere. Uh, he was kind enough to send us a mail uh, earlier on and ask us if we wanted examiner.com to run a little article. So uh, they did so, as some of you may have seen. And uh, big thanks because that's boosted our listener total by uh, several thousand percent. That's excellent. Uh, so good stuff there, Ed. Thanks a lot, man. Ed, we really appreciate it. And we have posted a link on our home site. So anyone who had missed the article, I don't see how, but if you did, you can still pop in and read the article and then read the rest of Ed's work, too, as he posts quite a bit and has some wonderful articles up. Yes, very talented and prolific gentleman. Oh, yes. Uh, we've, also had a, we've also had a couple of males, um, Bill Kirkpatrick and uh, Phil Wheatley. And before I go any further, uh, on Phil's behalf, a big shout-out to Jorgen Kruger, who's just moved out to South Africa. Um, hey, Jorgen. Uh, these two guys have been asking about play-by-post uh, online games. They're having a little trouble finding uh, gamers in their local neighborhood. So I've been sending them uh, to the usual places, RPGNet, WhiteWolf.com, ShadowNessence. Uh, but over at uh, Wild Games Productions uh, forums, we also have a small sub-forum there. And uh, if people are having trouble finding games uh, either in the real world or on the internet, they might want to stop by our sub-forum for play-by-post there and hook up with each other and make some games. That's right. That's wildgamesproductions.com slash forums with an S. And you can sign up at the forums there and chit-chat and ask questions, play-by-post games. Also, I've noticed there's a few other sites that you could play on, like mythweavers.com. Uh, isn't obsidianportal.com one of them, too? Obsidian is a campaign hosting website. Oh, okay. uh, I'm not sure that it supports actual live play, although it has its own. When you set up a, a campaign site there, you can host forums. So I'm sure there's a lot of that going on there too. And I can recommend obsidianportal.com uh, for personal experience. I use that for my own game. Great site. Free as well. Uh, yeah, and uh, mythweavers.com, I believe, is also uh, a free site. It has a lot, it hosts quite a bit. Of games, even World of Darkness, from that to I would know I don't D six games, so check it out. Excellent, worth checking out. Absolutely. Also, a thanks again to our main man Telperion. Send us a grill again this week. Um, so thanks, guy. He also mentioned uh, uh, Vitas Vampire: The Eternal Struggle, uh, the card game which debuted years ago under the name of Jihad, still going strong. Um, and maybe sometime in the near future we'll do a feature on that, seeing as it seems to still be getting plenty of coverage. Uh, actually, yeah. I looked over those cards. I took the 50-mile drive to the local gaming shop, which is not so friendly because uh -huh. it's so far away, 
and uh, I left the chainsaw at home. Um, I took a look at the cards. <laughs> always wise. Yeah, always wise. I took a look at some of the cards that they uh, – Some there were actually people playing there at the shop. And it looks like uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, I was thinking about picking uh, up a so set. It's still getting active play. Excellent. Yeah, I was thinking about picking up a set, maybe joining those kids in. I mean, they were younger than me, obviously, but hell, well, it's just a card game. Yeah. Uh, we used to play a lot back in the day, but I'm not sure where my cards are at the moment. I'm stuck in a box somewhere, but yeah, I had a lot of fun. Great game. Holding up the end of the couch, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, do we have any more mail from our uh, listeners? Um, a couple of a couple of mail here and there, um, giving us primarily some uh, some friendly feedback. We've had a few posts, uh, comments over at uh, the Podbean site. So, one of the anybody who takes the time to do that. Uh, we uh, we do read and respond to every single one, so uh, keep them coming in and uh, any suggestions and ideas that you have, and we'll do our best to uh, to meet them with slavish loyalty. That's right, because Mark sits there all day hitting refresh, just waiting for your emails. <laughs> uh, my refreshing finger is 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 was almost worn out this week. It's uh, and I'd like to getting a good workout. I'd like to thank uh, Rob. He was the one that made that post at uh, the Darker Days uh, podcast site uh, at Podbean. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Good one. Anyway, let's move on to uh, our strange news segment, uh, which we will put on. Uh, we'll put some regular news in here as well, because White Wolf has a bunch of announcements out there right now. Uh, they will be. Looks like our free RPG day is coming up very, very soon. Uh, I believe it's yes, freebies, freebies. June twentieth, right? Yeah, yeah, coming along, right around the corner. And I believe they will be giving the quick start. Uh, excuse me, quick start guide out for uh, Geist. I'm looking forward to this. What about you? Well, I was a big fan of Wraith and Orpheus back in the day. Now, information on Geist is hard to come by at the moment, so I have no idea if it's going to bear any resemblance to, to Wraith or Orpheus, and maybe taking a step away from those games is a good idea. But I'm really interested to see what it's like. Yeah, looking forward to that one. So the, the quick start on free RPG day will be something definitely worth grabbing hold of. Well, I think maybe when it is released, maybe we will do a mini-cast just to... Uh, read it over and not word for word, but maybe we'll just read a few things from it and give you our opinion of it. You know, a little 10, 15 minute cast as opposed to our normal. Good idea. Yeah. Our normal Guys cast. Quick start special. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, We'll just call it, we'll call it like a mini cast or something like that. You know, whatever. Just look forward to it. A podling. Uh, that there. Beautiful. A podling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad or that's what I have. That's what I have you for. <laughs> oh, even better. A waddling. <laughs> there it is. Boom. Official set in stone, a waddling. <laughs> I'll apply for the trademark right away. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, any more news that we should think we should mention? Uh, from uh, and Well, another interesting thing we just mentioned, uh, Vitess, they're bringing out uh, an expansion for the Ebony King for Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Uh, back in the day, the Ebony Kingdom was a, a great expansion book for Vampire. Vampire the Masquerade, so I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what that'll look like for Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. I noticed that they also posted up something just recently about uh, ready-made characters for the World of Darkness core. Yes, five of them. Um, uh, From the Legacy Security and Courier Services, a security company of players designed for instant use, World of Darkness game. Awesome. If you you know if you're interested in that, pick up that. I mean, it's always fun to have something at your fingertips ready to just throw into your game. Well, that's my big thing. You know, pick it up, plug it in, and play right away. And if you got something like that, uh, it's almost an instant sell for me. Very yeah, good. Definitely. Speaking about picking up, putting right in, and terrorizing your players, how about we move on to the zombie ants? 
Or of the zombie ants, Vince. I don't know. Let's, uh, let's take a look. Okay, zombie ants. Uh, zombie fire ants, to be specific. Now, some of our listeners may be familiar with these little beasties. Uh, the, uh, the story originates uh, with a species of fly called the forid fly, P-H-O-R-I-D. What this little fly does is it uh, flies down, lands on an ant, injects its larva into the ant. Uh, the larva makes its way up into the ant's head and eats its brain, takes over the ant's body, and uh, causes the ants to lumber around like a zombie. You guessed it. Brains. Yeah, brains. <laughs> One of us. Uh, the poor hapless zombie ant wanders away from its hive, uh, collapses in a heap somewhere, and then its head falls off, <laughs> and the, uh, the new fly larva crawls out of, its, uh, of, the, of the stump of its neck. Damn. Now, the, the, the coolness of this is just beyond measure for me. <laughs> and its, its immediacy of use in games is, uh, is pretty obvious. Uh, the, the joy of infecting your player characters with a parasite that's going to turn them into a zombie, make their head fall off, and then cause some freakish, otherworldly mutant creature to come crawling out of their neck. Uh, yeah, I just can't wait to use that in my games. Uh, I, I think I might stay away from the zombie ants because I probably wind up having too much fun killing off my characters with this or letting them play zombie. I don't, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let my group play zombies. <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly enough, um, the supplement for Mage of the Awakening called Intruders Encounters with the Abyss has a creature in it that's a lot like this, a little parasite that sits inside your head. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that it makes your head fall off, uh, but uh, yeah, this is something that you can get hours of use out of in the game, uh, not just you know through doing it to your characters, but also coming up with the reasons behind it. You know, Do you want to have something that's as alien as a creature from the other worlds infecting your character? Do you want to just give it a, a mundane explanation? Maybe it really is just a little fly bite that uh, your, you know, your character gets bitten on the arm one night and slowly over the course of the next few weeks his behavior starts to change uh, and then eventually his head falls off (laughs) (laughs) it's not just the forehead fly that does this as well i mean uh, it's 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 prevalent in the animal kingdom the insect kingdom there's a fly that does it to cockroaches um, causes cockroaches to wander about the place while their uh, larvae gestate within its body Um, there's a couple of different kinds of wasps uh, tarantula wasp uh, lays its eggs in a tarantula. There's another species that sits on the tarantula's back and uh, actually controls the tarantula uh, and makes the tarantula wander back to its burrow where the uh, the wasp then fills it th- with, it, with its larvae. Um, there's another wasp, which to me has the coolest name of any wasp in the world, called the voodoo wasp. Ooh. And the voodoo wasp does this to caterpillars. So these poor caterpillars become uh, living egg chambers for the, uh, for the wasp's... Uh, for the wasps teeming young, kind of, kind of, kind of sounds like this whole the whole aliens plot. Oh, well, exactly. You, you know, you wonder if uh, if the guys who wrote Alien had any uh, inspiration from these things. I think it's probably quite likely. Yeah, this is nothing new, so you probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's a fly, uh, the the tsetse fly. Uh, which uh, bites people and lays its eggs in people. Uh, in fact, when I was reading about the zombie ants, as one uh, commentator was suggesting that the tsetse fly uh, infecting people may have been one of the causes of the original zombie myth. Uh, it gets into the, into the person's brain and causes them to behave in a, a stupefied fashion. They can't sleep. They wander around uh, like an automaton. Uh, and they think that this may have been partly responsible for the rise of the zombie myth. So... Uh, so there you go. It has real-world provenance and uh, so, should be used in, in any self-respecting game. So zombies don't exist? 
Well, I wouldn't wish to uh, to comment on that. <laughs> I've and just spent the last two hours playing Left 4 Dead, so as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, they exist a hell of a lot in my house. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad because I do have the Zombie Hunter Survival Guide on my shelf. Yes, uh, I can see it from where I'm sitting. <laughs> Outstanding book. <laughs> I love that book. Required reading. That actually, if you do, I would have to recommend if you are playing a Hunter's game, such as Hunter the Reckoning, Hunter the Visual, uh, Inquisitor, whatever, just pick up that book for a fun read. I picked up that book and I couldn't stop reading because I was just like, is this guy serious? That's what I like about it. You pick it up and you think, oh, this is funny. And then about 10, 15 pages in, you're like, i got to get me a shotgun. <laughs> the guy makes, I mean, I don't mean to go off track here, but this is a good review actually to put into your World of Darkness game just, that just came to us. But just it tells you every way to fortify your house, how to prevent zombies from doing this and that, how to kill the zombies, how to... Uh, extract information from the intelligent zombies. I mean, I couldn't believe, when I read this book, I was like, wow. And then, well, I like, wait, sorry, I'm sorry, and then he goes on further, is to, like he makes up stories in the back to support the cause. That's what I was going to say. That's what I like the most about it, is his, his list of uh, apparent, you know, legitimate zombie uh, incidents going back to however many thousand BC. <laughs> you know, he goes back to things like the ancient Rig Veda texts from Hindu India and goes, see here, in verse 27, they're talking about a zombie. Excellent. Fantastic. I would definitely give it five out of five stars just for its pure use in the game. Just to get a get in the mood, a hunter perspective view of the game. I mean, just it's it's fun. I like the book. I love it. Very cool. Five out of five for you too? Oh six. Yeah. Six seven. Out of five. Yeah. Seven. The sky's the limit with zombies. You can't you can't really put a put a figure to that. Uh, a funny story about that is uh I I at work I gave the book to uh one of my coworkers, because her son wanted to read the book. He's about 12. <laughs> next thing I know, she comes in the next day. She goes, what's this book you gave my son about zombies? <laughs> and I was just like, well, it's a zombie hunter survival guide. It's a fiction book. He goes, well, he's fortifying the house now as we speak, putting bo- wood boards against the window. I'm like, oh, great. Excellent. Sorry. <laughs> it's part of any young man's education. You know, it's, uh, if you haven't read it, it's severely lacking. It, it should be required reading in school should, and out of school. Yeah. Okay, let's. Uh, we have anything more about the zombie ants, or that's about it. That's it for now. The thing that impresses me uh, about it is the the innate cool factor of these things and uh, the ease with which you could freak your players out uh, by putting them in the game. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. Yeah, I, I just I have no comment on. They're just creepy enough. I don't want the whole alien thing happening to me. <laughs> that's why you should be the storyteller, not the player, as often as you can. These things don't happen. To you, they happen because of you. That's right. That's thus I am the storyteller. <laughs> yes, Grand Poobah. Anyway, let's move on to our old, our original or classic World of Darkness, as Mark likes to call it. <laughs> and uh, I'm just going to take a quick look at the Dark Ages Inquisitors book. Yes, continuing with our Dark Ages extravaganza. Uh, I have not started that campaign. Uh, hold on one second. As I pull up in the book. Anyway, uh, so I got the Inquisitor's book in front of me. It's a wonderful reddish book. Looks like it's, uh, it looks kind of like a satin curtain in the background with the wonderful Inquisitor's, uh, or should I say, uh, it looks like a, a knife from, I don't know, maybe the church? What would you say? I love the cover. It's very, it's nice and simple, but mm. yeah, very evocative. It's a, it's a good book. It's about, uh, actually has in the back, it has an index, which we were talking about the last time. Index in an old World of Darkness book. Vince, you lie. Oh no, it's there. 
237 pages of wonderful joy and goodness. It uh, starts off pretty much with a a story of, uh, uh, I would say, a point of view from a hunter, or an inquisitor, I should say, and Mm -hmm. uh, his experiences with possession and... uh, his, and what he finds out, how people are actually not what they seem, and how God is telling him that he must do the work of God, and that's it. Cool. Well, I'm not normally fond of large amounts of in-character fiction. Uh, you know, as I said before, I want to pick it up and I want to use it right away without needing to wade through lots of point-of-view in-character text. But, you know, if it's as quali- a good quality as that and it sets the scene and it gets you, and if it's accessible and readable... Then it's worth having. I do have to say, I mean, they take a lot of time explaining in the book how the organizations work back then, and how what the hunters think and what the people think, and then finally, uh, chapter three, chapter four is when you start getting into the orders and how to make up your character, which I disagree with. I think that should be right in the front, right up right. there. As soon as you open the, not right when you open the book, but like right up there in the front. I shouldn't yeah. have to thumb through the thing and look around to find the orders in here for my characters and my players to play. That's the no. only complaint I have about the book. Other than that, it's well-written. Uh, the background is good. The history is good. It has a lot of flavor in it. It gives you a good setting. Uh, as a player, it's a little much. I think it's a little intimidating to read everything. As a GM, it, go ahead. It seemed, pretty, it seemed pretty complex to me as a, as, as a game goes. Uh, I mean, you know, enjoyable, but, but yeah, like you said, perhaps a little bit intimidating. I, yeah, when I first opened it up, I was just like, uh, okay, so now where are the orders? Well, I didn't know. I was actually, well, where are the character types in here? I was thumbing and yeah. looking. Finally, when I found it, I was just like, oh, all right. So actually, they were well, two, setting it up. Two of those really stood out to me. Um, the, the Knights of Arca with their fragment of the, two, of the True Cross. That ties in, uh, to my thinking, really well to the legends of the time. Uh, and also, as I, as I, if I recall correctly, in uh, Dark Ages Vampire, there's a whole thing about the city of Accra uh, being inaccessible to vampires because of the presence of the True Cross there. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see that reflected in the Inquisitor game. And uh, there was also another one that stood out to me called the Red Order. I don't know if you, you took a look at that at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they get picked up again um, in uh, some of the uh, modern World of Darkness games as a really secretive, shadowy cabal who were pulling the strings of the modern Inquisition. Uh, yeah, they actually refer to in the book um, the Red Order being, I can't think of the name, but it was a movie with Sean Connery offhand. You, not, I'm not sure. Name of the Rose. What was that? Name of the Rose. I, that, that's it. Thank you. And they yeah, said if, if any anything that would represent someone from the Red Order, take a look at that movie. A little older movie, but it's still worthwhile. Very uh, with a very young Christian Slater in it. Uh, that's a good film, though. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right, Christian Slater. Yeah. Uh, the, the House of Murnau was another order that really stood out for me. Um, as I mentioned uh, uh, last episode, the modern World of Darkness book Inquisition, um, which was uh, part of the Year of the Hunter series, has an Inquisition which is founded by a, a guy called Leopold of Murnau. So to see him and his family crop up again in the Dark Ages book, I thought that was a really nice Easter egg that links the Dark Ages very, very well with a modern game. Even though there's, you know, there's about six or seven years, a real, real world years that separate the release dates of those two books, it was good to see established uh, Canon folded back into the Dark Ages setting. A nice touch there. Uh, obviously, the developers are looking, listening, and uh, planning really well 
unlike some other systems out there that just slop things together, which we will not name. Well, yeah, I'm, you know, World of Darkness is guilty of that too, but, uh, but I think they hit the nail on the head probably this time. Well, yeah, the index uh, should have given it away. You know, that, that helps a lot. <laughs> uh, boosting quality beyond our wildest dreams there. Overall, I'd say uh, it's a fun book. As a GM, it gives you lots of flavor, lots of background. It gives you uh, some hooks, some scenarios. I would recommend trying it maybe as a one, two-shot game or even just picking it up for your Dark Ages game to have something to go after the vampires in your in your campaign. Someone that's getting out of line, throw an Inquisitor at them. That's what I would do. The power level is, uh, as I understand, it's a fair bit higher than, than a standard vampire or even the, than, a, than a modern hunter. So, yeah, these guys can really pack a punch. Well, that's because they have the power of God on their side. They do indeed, yes. Power of God. Power that's of, another thing that you should trademark. That's, yeah, the, the power of God and the power of Christ will compel them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I believe that you wanted to tell us a little bit about your mage game and some of the rules in your mage game, correct? Yeah, staying, staying with the old world of darkness, uh, um, and specifically with Mage the Ascension. Uh, a great game, a great setting, uh, with a really interesting set of rules. It's you know, widely uh, appreciated free-form magic system. Um, and as most mage players do over time, so, so, you know, you, you develop your own house rules and your own way of, uh, of running the game. Uh, and like any self-respecting mage storyteller, I've got uh, pages and pages of these damn things. But there's, there's four in particular, and a couple of which were inspired by Mage the Awakening that I just wanted to share with our listeners. And maybe those of you who are playing Mage the Ascension can get some use out of these. Um... Now, the first, first one of these is setting the difficulty level of magical effects. Uh, as any uh, mage player will know, the, the, the difficulty of your, uh, of your magic roll is set by the, uh, the rank of the sphere that you're, uh, that you're using. So a lower-ranked effect is easier to cast than a, than a higher-ranked effect. It seems all well and good, but uh, when you look at the maths that work behind this, it can actually work out that a higher-ranked sphere effect can turn out to be weaker than a lower-ranked one, um, mm-hmm. simply because the higher difficulty level means you're going to get less successes. Correct. And that's the last thing that you want. You don't want some guy with forces five uh, letting off with his you know, fireball of ultimate doom, and the guy only gets one or two successes on it, whereas some guy with uh, forces two or three can, can you know, get double or triple that. Okay. Simple solution. Just set a static DC... Set all the difficulties to six or to seven. Uh, it's not an, a, a wholly new house rule. It's been done in the modern, uh, the new world of darkness, and it's been done earlier than that and exalted. But I'd recommend that as the first house rule uh, to put into play in Mage. Uh, simply means that uh, you can make a, an effect more difficult by changing the number of successes that are required, but the actual difficulty of it, the actual number that you have to roll, stays the same. And it means that across the board, lower-ranked effects aren't going to be uh, more powerful than uh, higher-ranked effects. So you're saying just set everything to one, dif- one difficulty uh, number and work from there? Yeah, I use six uh, because I like the magic to flow fast and free, but a seven might make for a slightly leaner and grittier game. And in the new World of Darkness, I think it's, as I recall, it's set to eight. So you're looking at a 30% chance of, of success there with DC8. Uh, and we found it works. Um, you can tweak it up and down by circumstance. You know, if uh, the mage is fast casting, raise it to seven. Uh, if he's taking his time or he's sitting at a node, lower it to five or whatever. Um, but yeah, that, that would be the first one that I would suggest. And it's worked quite well, actually. Uh, 
you know, there's, there's no calculation goes on. You pick up your dice, you know the DC, you roll and you go. So you, you definitely use this in your group and it works out pretty well then. Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, second to that, uh, and there's a, these, these next few uh, couple of house rules, they're inspired by uh, Mage the Awakening. Um, now, a lot of Ascension players... They're not comfortable with the uh, the changes to the setting and some of the changes to the rule with awake uh, to the rules with awakening, but awakening has a number of mechanical innovations that I find work really well with ascension uh, because they play back into some of ascension's ideas that existed in the fluff for ascension but weren't properly reflected in the rules. And the chief and foremost of those is rotes, uh, which are magical effects, as an ascension player will know, that have been tried and tested and done repeatedly and are supposed to be. Uh, easier, more easy to cast. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't reflected in any large number of mechanics. Uh, there are a couple of ways of modeling this in the Ascension game, but not too many. So what I would recommend is taking a leaf out of Awakening's book um, and making rotes have a little less chance of causing paradox and giving them a slightly lighter resonance signature, making it difficult for others to identify the caster by examining the effect. So the idea being, this is a tried and tested technique that has managed to insinuate itself into uh, the consensus, and it just doesn't it doesn't blip the paradox radar so heavily, and it doesn't stand out so heavily uh, to someone else trying to trying to detect it. Simply done when rolling paradox backlash, reduce the number of dice by two, down to a minimum of one if the effect was a rote, and when someone's detecting the residence of a rote, increase the DC by two. Huh. Done. Yeah, just quick little simple tweak, and straight away rotes have a, a little bit more value. Um, you can charge players' experience points to learn new rotes. Uh, I use uh, one XP per dot that's in the rote. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they have an added value, but they have an added cost as well. Now, Mark, before you continue, is this is, have you do you have this all written down so I can post a link so our listeners could uh, check this out? Or yeah, awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, another rule that I that I took straight out of Awakening uh, is the idea of using runes of power to enhance your uh, your spells. Uh, magical alphabets, like the words of a magical language, they reverberate with power. These magical languages can include Enochian or Kaja or Taoist script or whatever magic language you happen to use in your game. Um, and if you inscribe those runes onto the target of an effect, it automatically adds one success to the effect's duration. Uh, again, a simple tweak uh, that plays into the idea of a mage inscribing runes onto, a, onto a, the floor of a room where he's casting a spell or maybe onto a target that he's going to place on the body of uh, the subject of his spell. Uh, and it just adds a little bit of flavor, and you give it a mechanical representation by making the spell have one more uh, success to its duration. Hmm. Just makes it last longer. Nice and simple. Definitely. I, I, I like that idea. <clears throat> if I play a little more mage, maybe I'll have to get into using this. Hmm. And the, uh, the last house rule is, again, taken directly out of Mage the Awakening. I really enjoyed reading this one when I saw it. Uh, the idea is that you have a spell, you give it life, and then you can relinquish control of it. You can allow it to continue on its own. You're no longer sustaining it yourself. Uh, you give it a bit of a push and set it off free into the world. And to do so, you sacrifice a permanent dot of willpower, which you can then restore by spending experience points. Um, so, you know, you, you create a spell, you give it a long, hefty duration, and then you spend a permanent point of willpower, 
and the, the spell is then freestanding, exists on its own, and it doesn't require you to maintain it anymore. It's like giving it life. Exactly, exactly. And once you've relinquished the effect, it no longer counts against your total of allowed simultaneous effects, because in Mage there's a limit on how many spells you can have running at any given time, and this is a way of getting around that. So uh, if you have a number of spells that you really want to have active, but you don't want to have to spend the energy to maintain them, you spend that point of willpower, and uh, it becomes, well, as, uh, as long-lasting as you want it to be, depending on the duration you gave it. So that's four little house rules there. Uh, change the difficulty, set it to a static number. Um, make the rotes do a little less paradox and make them harder to detect with resonance. Uh, use a rune of power to make your spell last a bit longer. And spend a willpower point to relinquish control of your spell and have it exist independent of your uh, uh, of your will. Those are you. Those are some amazing rules to use in your game. I suggest uh, you take a look at them. I'll post a link in the show notes. Uh, I definitely would recommend. Yeah, I'm looking at them right now. I, I this is very interesting. Oh, and just on a side note, uh, not related to this. Don't forget our email address at darkerdaysradio at gmail dot com. Give us a yes, indeed. Drop us a line with your thoughts. We also do. We, we, we could use some bumpers for the show. Uh, maybe something like, uh, "Hi, this is John, and uh, you're listening to uh, Darker Days podcast, and with Children of the Night play huh? something like that." Yeah, we need a tagline. Is what we need. That would be fun. That would be very. That would be great. Send us in an MP3 or wave and attach it to the email, and we'll play it live on the show. Maybe the top of the show, end of the show, whatever. Very cool. Very good idea, Vince. I think we should do that. And uh, if there's nothing else about your mage campaign, and I think we fed the mage players with a lot and stuffed them today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, an excess of crunch. No, I'll, uh, we'll leave it with that for now, I think. We don't want to, yeah, we get a little more review and funness into things. Uh, if there's, if, you know, if people like that kind of thing, we'll, we'll throw a few more house rules your way. But let us know what you think. Let us know if, if it's the kind of thing you'd want to use or want to hear more of. Uh, and uh, we'll see how it goes from there. Definitely. House rules are always interesting to hear, and uh, it's fun to see what you can come up with on your own. I mean, if you have some house rules, definitely send it our way, and we'll take a look at them and see what we yeah. think. Share them with our listeners and uh, spread the wealth. Next, I, I want to move on now. Uh, let's move on to the newer World of Darkness, or the current yes, World indeed. of Darkness. Uh, looks like uh, t- this week I got a book here called Inferno. Mm. World of Darkness supplement for the mortals, it looks like. Yeah, interesting little book, that. Now, first look at this book. You look at it, and you're going to go, oh, my God, it's Demon the Fallen for New World of Darkness. No, it's <laughs> not. I don't know if that book's coming out. I hope it does. But, you know, being a big Demon the Fallen fan from the past. Mm. Mm. But, well, I think Inferno shares a few similarities, but they've clearly taken pains to uh, to step away from the Demon the Fallen mold. Uh, chiefly being that you, you don't play demons. No, it's more of a possessed type character. Yeah. Like a demon inside a mortal, and it's slowly taking them over until basically it becomes an NPC. I like the section on possessed. You know, it looks very good. I'd like to see it in play. Um, with the comparison with Demon the Fallen, that said, I think possessed could work well with the Demon the Fallen game. Uh, and this actually applies to the whole supplement because it adds some extra layers of detail uh, to demons that would that would go well in the old demon line. But yeah, it's very much uh, as it stands in New World of Darkness. It's its own beast and it stands alone of the old line. Definitely. It, it, it goes over uh, in the first part of the book, um, basically describing in a World of Darkness view 
what demons are, the nature of demons, and the mechanics of the game. Um, it shows you how you can make use of them with the World of Darkness core book, the Mortal book. And it really doesn't say how to add it to, say, something like Vampire or, or the Werewolf game or the Mage game, or even Changeling for that matter. It doesn't really say much about that. It just tells you how to use it with the core book. Um, I, I wish it would tell you a little bit more, but it didn't. There, yeah, there's, there's a few paragraphs uh, on, on each of the other supernatural splats. That, that tells you how you would be able to uh, to use it with those, and gives you the perspective of what a mage thinks a vampire is, and how a werewolf uh, looks at it, and how a demon might uh, interact with uh, the covenants. Uh, but no, the, those aren't given uh, a huge amount of coverage. Mostly, it covers and actually in extensive detail uh, the the world of the demons mm. um, and their various backgrounds and the the various hierarchies of hell. Uh, although it takes the the standard New World of Darkness approach of not nailing down hard and fast truths about what demons are, uh, although there is a hell apparently, yay! Um, <laughs> but instead, it gives lots of different possibilities, you know, based on a few fundamental concepts such as demons come from your vices and things like that, which is kind of cool. Uh, and also, uh, it goes on further, maybe to tell you about um, the actual. In the world of darkness point of view, by may I add, summoning and making packs with demons for various powers and benefits for your game. So you could run a demon and entice your mortals if you have running a mortal game, or maybe entice your vampires. What, yeah, what more can I thought they want, the um, I thought the stuff on the on the pack system, uh, the crunch there is very sound. It's very much plug and play. It's got neat little sidebars with story and idea nuggets. I did think that some of the systems to do with pacts were a little bit large, maybe even cumbersome in places, and would take someone a little time to digest. But they're still very usable. But it's something that you would need to take a little bit of time to read over and make sure that you understand it before you just throw it out on the table. Well, it definitely is very rich with flavor and atmosphere. It gives you a good sense of how they work and what happens when you do make that pact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes with a bunch of sample stat blocks at the back. They're pretty neat. The Preta just rock. I thought they were great. Uh, and who couldn't love Azazel? Um, anybody with a 15-point dice pool for damage gets my vote. <laughs> yes, you could find all sorts of uh, possessed in the back. Just flip back there. You can easily throw them into your campaign, which I'll be doing for my Inquisitor's campaign. Uh, and you can have lots of fun with it. Uh, you can, also, there is a chapter dedicated to playing the possessed, as they call them. A player mm-hmm. character that deals with the uh, the issue of being possessed and what happens to them over the course of the change and actually what happens with the demon inside them, how it tempts them and makes them do these evil things. Yeah. There's a great little section, uh, a sidebar really, uh, on the uh, the supernatural underground which I thought was a clear nod to the Unknown Armies game, uh, which is a good thing, of course. You know, Unknown Armies is one of the premier horror games out there, and it has these rumors from the occult underground. So seeing, uh, it's one of the strongest points of Unknown Armies, I think. So seeing that given uh, fresh life and uses inspiration here for the supernatural underground was very cool. Little nuggets of creepiness that you can uh, pick up and use in your game. Overall, uh, I think this book is a great, great supplement to throw into your campaign, whatever you're playing. It's got a nice shiny cover with, uh, well, it looks like some type of demon being summoned from hell with a pentagram and, I guess, a willing mm, subject shiny. victim. <laughs> <laughs> victim laying in front of it. I, I first saw it, I was like, whoa, that's definitely nice. They're doing a good job on their covers this time around, I have to say. Yeah, they're very nice, very pretty. 
they're trying to go for the pretty factor, I guess, this time around to get all the little kids yeah. to buy it. And it has an index too. Uh, ooh. Yeah, as an old World of Darkness player, I still get a kick every time I see one of those in a White Wolf book. Uh, that's just never going to get old. I know you must say to yourself, if they only had this back then. <laughs> Have you seen the index to Mage, uh, the Ascension Revised Edition? You yeah. look for something and you just, you know, you're looking for an, um, rules and a magical effect, and it's listed under R for rules. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like actually gathering up that pool of dice to find something, see how many successes you get to find the page. Give me a break. <laughs> oh, and the last thing I happened to pick up when I went to the uh, store was the Mage Dice set for the new uh, Mage the Awakening. It was the Ascension. Ascension, sorry. I actually did find the dice set. It was an interesting little dice set. It came in a little dark blue bag with a skull and a pentagram on it. And, mm, it, nice. and it had, uh, what was it, about five, six, seven dice. I don't remember. It's on the kitchen table. I haven't used it yet. It, it yielded our World of Darkness dice with the uh, the numbers highlighted for a success, which is, oh, thank you. I needed those. That's really handy. Uh, you know, uh, that's one of the things that you couldn't do in the old days with difficulties going up and down like a bloody yo-yo. But now that they're set in the new World of Darkness, yeah, you can. it's a simple thing to do with the dice, but immediately effective. You see them on the table, there you go, right away. Good stuff. I, I, yeah, I recommend picking those up, picking up as many as you can. I know there's one for Vampire, there's one for Werewolf. I think there might be one for Changeling. Cool. And it comes in a nice little bag, too. Yeah, a little portable bag. I am looking, if anyone can find it out there, the Vampire, the Dark, or Dark Ages Vampire, that dice set, and the Storyteller screen. I haven't been able to find those in quite a while, and I'm looking for them. Yeah, I, I sent. I bought the Storyteller screen uh, along with the book for Dark Ages, and the Storyteller screen wasn't included. I just got the book. Uh, that's kind of irritating. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't use screens so much, but yeah, I would have liked to have had it. <laughs> I, I yeah I, I like using screens so I wanted one and I was not able to find it anywhere so must I know it's out of print but still yeah uh, something to keep your eye out for okay yeah uh, do you have anything for the new world of darkness section well um, something which I think we I want to cover uh, in greater detail uh, but I'll just give a little bit of a teaser right now is the jail of night. Uh, now, long-term fans of World of Darkness will know this as a series of articles from White Wolf's old magazine back in the day when they had them. And what it did was it took the World of Darkness game lines, the five big ones from Old World of Darkness, uh, Vampire, Werewolf, uh, Mage, Wraith, and Changeling, and adapted them to the setting of the game Cult. Uh, now, Cult is an extremely creepy horror game. Uh, it's based heavily in Gnostic philosophy. Uh, the idea being that the world is a lie. Uh, it was created by uh, a powerful demiurge, godlike creature, who has since absented himself from his creation. And it's now ruled over by his squabbling servants and their minions who are running the prison for them, the uh, the jail of the world. Now, this was a revolutionary thing back in the day, back in Old World of Darkness, but players of New World of Darkness will recognize this as being pretty much the setting for Mage the Awakening. Uh, the idea of uh, the fallen world, the exarchs, and their servants, the seers of the throne. Now, I want to give this uh, more coverage in a, a more expansive uh, feature in a later episode, 
But uh, I would recommend that uh, players of the New World of Darkness go and check out the Jail of Night articles. They've since been compiled uh, by their author, and they're available free for download over at the uh, Cult uh, role-playing game site. And it's at cultrpg.com. But we'll put the full uh, link on our website uh, at Wild Games Productions. Um, because it's one of those URLs that's about six lines long, and it would just be a waste of time to read it out on air. That's uh, wildgamesproductions.com. We'll just post up yeah. there for you. Um, but the, the Jail of Night basically takes the standard World of Darkness setting and uh, changes the backstory and builds it into something, if at all possible, even more horrific. So we're going to come back to this uh, in an episode or two and give it uh, more detailed coverage and really show you how you can open up the box and uh, tear out the goodies and use them in your own games. But for now, I'd recommend that our listeners uh, head on over to uh, the cult site, take a look at the articles where they're free for download and have been compiled into a really nice-looking PDF, and uh, check it out. Definitely uh, check it out. It's worth looking at. I believe now we're coming to the end of the show, which we'll usually talk about our campaigns that we're currently running. Uh, my campaign really has no update because we have not started. have not been able to get the guys together to run the campaign, but this weekend I think should be the start of things to come. Are you kicking off, eh? Cool. Looks like it. Uh, I finally got the guys together. Hopefully we're going to get together and sit down, make up the characters at least, and get them introduced more into the Inquisitor world. Maybe do some the uh, background story and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Nice little prelude. Yeah, definitely. And what's, yeah, good. what's going on in your campaign? Well, we didn't play this week, um, scheduling craziness, but uh, last week we had a game that does what, uh, well, that what games do, uh, which went completely off the rails of the plot. <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love it when that happens. Um, I mean, long story short, the characters, it's a mage game, and they're busy trying to purify a node, which is pumping corrupt quintessence uh, into their home base. So they went and found the, uh, the node, which is like a, a well of spiritual energy, um, which has become corrupted over time because its guardian spirit isn't being looked after. So they're trying to find a way to purify it, to appease the guardian spirit. And what they've been doing is uh, traveling back through reflections of this spiritual well, this node, in the spirit world. Uh, looking at how it used to, reflections of how it used to be in times past. Uh, so uh, a Catholic monastery, and before that, a Saxon church, before that, a Roman temple, before that, a Celtic shrine. Um, but the, uh, the interesting thing came when a character decided to use a rather wacky spirit magic effect to summon a bunch of spirits to do what he wanted to do, and he botched. And he botched in a big way, like four or five wands he rolled and no successes. Uh, so, you know, that's, uh, he's going to get screwed. <laughs> so I'm looking at this dreadful dice roll and thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, improvising just off the top of my head, uh, he has a familiar. So I decide that the spirits that he summoned, uh, they don't do what he wants, but they take his familiar and run off with it. Um, a good idea, I thought. Uh, of course, his familiar is the ghost of his true love. So what's he going to do? He's going to forget the adventure, and he's going to go get his familiar back. And I'm sitting there looking at the plot of the story just disintegrating around me hmm. and uh, actually being kind of excited by it. Because at the end of the day, this is what I run games for. Uh, these moments where the characters take your plot and just run with it in the opposite direction. So fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and for me, the, the, the big lesson to draw from this is just don't be afraid when this happens. If something comes out of left field or if you improvise something that causes the players to react in a crazy way, 
grab the ball and run with it because you never know where it's going to end up. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that's going to turn out in uh, in coming sessions. Sounds like it might be fun. I, I definitely want to hear an update on this next time we do our podcast, which will be in two weeks' time. We should be back, if scheduling permits, on the 17th to do another show, which will be up by the weekend, unless you have something else planned that week. Yeah. No, I'm uh, looking forward to it. Okay, well, then uh, we'll just give the email one time. What's that email, Mark? Darkadaysradio at gmail.com. Really thankful for the mails that we've been having so far and looking forward to seeing what more you guys have to throw our way in the future. And please, please uh, definitely go to the forums at Wild Games, that's G-A-M-E-S, productions with an S, dot com slash forums with an S. And you could uh, sign up and start asking questions, posting uh, information, and even telling us what we're doing wrong. Yes, indeed. Uh, all feedback will be uh, duly taken on board, and uh, we'll work it into our next show. Definitely. As Mark is hitting refresh right now, waiting for that letter you're sending as we speak. I am. I am doing it right now. Can't you hear? Anyway, this is Vince <laughs> signing off. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.